Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Good evening. It's Matthew and Will. Good evening, everybody. And this is our 20th episode. It's so exciting. Yay! It is. It's two whole seasons. We haven't gotten tired of each other yet, so it just leaves you to get tired of us. <laughs> and here is our opening problem. We're in the middle of a seminal moment in the judicial era. Black Lives Matter, hashtag me too, originalism, judicial activism, court packing, and all of them are terms heard ad nauseum just this year. We ask for judges to be impartial, and then we call them bad. And the Supreme Court has an almost game show feel where decisions raise to justices to interviews and book deals or cast them into accusations and black marks. Bill Burr pointed out that he said he wanted due process, and the studio audience just went silent. As it turns out, conservatives want to lock up Hillary, and social media locks away Trump. Ahmad Arbery's case was riddled of accusations of cover-ups, just like Hunter's emails. And cash bail takes off, as well as New York, no longer prosecuting prostitution. So for the question of the show... Is a just society even possible? Yeah, we see it all the time. We whole movements dedicated to saying that they're here for justice. But are they? Exactly. I mean, I see a couple of groups, their constant post. One of the ones I was following, they actually said that justice is love in public. That was a quote. What in the world does that mean? Yeah. And the thing is, it doesn't really mean a whole lot besides implement my policies. But the whole point of a lot of these statements is it's a good feeling it's a good way of keeping your moral superiority going as well the issue is of course justice as completely blind completely impartial is of course an issue because how do fallible beings do the infallible impossibly impossibly exactly and kind of the first point just to bring up to this because a lot of times people will say well we can get there. We just have to keep making progress. We keep addressing things. It's, it's always changing. You just keep making it a no. So are you saying that we should just have robots for justices? Maybe not so dystopian, but what a lot of people say the pursuit of justice is should simply be constant, that we will just always be pursuing it. Every case that comes up, we can change our mind. We'll just answer the case in front of us, however that needs to be answered to get the right outcome. Then when a new case comes in, then we'll change our minds again. We'll address that issue. Then we'll address the issue after that. That's just not how the justice system works. It works on press. You can see how a lot of people can feel frustrated when precedent or the way the law is written. I remember a lot of people were shocked when the Supreme Court was saying that if you're an illegal immigrant, you can't get a green card. And that affects some 400,000 people today. And, but of course, for... For a lot of conservatives, there was surprise, like, wait a minute, aren't there three liberal justices? Hold on a second here. What happened? And what happened is those justices said, well, you, if you're an illegal immigrant, you can't get a green card. That's how the law works. Mm -hmm. they, I know a lot of people were surprised. In a situation where we, we are so strongly in a society that is used to partisan pressure that the concept that you would have judges actually vote based off of the precedent given the law that is already there 
that this became a, I, I don't know, I don't want to call it like oversimplify and say it's simple, but the very essence that they all voted together as one block didn't make them any less bent towards their one side. It just meant that they didn't really see any indication that they should be taking this under some special privilege and completely changing the given, like the pre-existing precedent. That means the exact same thing. <laughs> we have Congress for a reason and, and the justice has recognized that. Mm -hmm. And so the first point I want to bring up is a question. And that question is who's guilty? Everyone. Everyone. And no one. Is the kind of the answer. There was a book back in 2009 written by a Boston civil liberties lawyer, Harvey Silvergate. And he wrote a book called Three Felonies a Day. And he was kind of talking about how he thinks that the average American unwittingly commits about three felonies every single day because you are able to construe laws in certain ways. Oh, come on. This is easy enough. Just like go and see people driving on the highway like way faster than everyone else. Well, jaywalking, right? That too. Everyone does it. Not a felony. Right. It's not a felony. But... You know, what he's saying is that prosecutors used to kind of go off of intent. There had to be some content, some intent to actually commit the felony. So if you committed a felony, but you kind of accidentally did it, then the justice system kind of was like, well, yeah, he accidentally did it. You have to establish intent. He argues that now prosecutors kind of just go off of this is what the law says. You broke it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of times what you'll see people brought in for. And then they have to prove that there was no intent, but that doesn't mean that they won't be found guilty and thus brought in for an arraignment hearing. Yeah, I mean, when we brought up the chart of how many people were in prison, there part of it was 160,000 people are in just local lockups just to spend the night or to, they're waiting for their trial or their, their arraignment. It, people waiting to be actually <laughs> convicted of something is a pretty high number. Mm-hmm. That brings up an interesting question. Is there a certain level of higher crime rates because any action may unwittingly be criminal? So is if I wanted to take out an enemy of mine, then all of a sudden conservatives would argue that's Paul Manafort. They got him on uh, tax evasion. And then once he was in there for tax evasion, they tried to flip him on Trump. So that was the conservative argument. Right now... And his argument back was, you guys looked into me for this and you didn't prosecute me. That's true. So if you look, if you conduct an investigation and then you don't prosecute me, and then five years later you come back and go, actually, just kidding, we're going to throw you in jail. He's kind of like, well, that's unfair. You looked into it <laughs> and you said, wait a minute, no, he's fine. You didn't find any new evidence and all of a sudden you just went back. So he found that politically motivated. So you can see where... Some people may feel yeah, FISA courts. Uh. Right? <laughs> Red flag laws would be in this category. If you can go to a judge and take away somebody's firearms simply because, hey, you did this and this is a classic sign of abuse. And the person might go, I just had a bad week at work. It's abuse. You lose your right. You can see, see where that issue is. And then on the flip side, some say that if it's a nonviolent crime, they should not be prosecuted. So that's New York. <clears throat> they're saying they're not going to be prosecuting prostitution because that's just what their prosecutor's saying. It's really interesting because if you're going to stop prosecuting a crime, they do know that crime isn't going to disappear. It's going to increase. Like, more people are going to do it. And if 
when you have areas that where business insurance or the cost of running a business is so high because of the level of crime in that area, then what you're going to see is less investment. Mm -hmm. When you don't police an area, you have less investment or you have less growth. And now that area can remains generationally poor longer. And people don't realize, they don't think about it, but the entire economy runs on investment. People don't think about the fact that their 401k is an investment and every amount of investing that you tend to do in your retirement is investment. You're investing into someone or some company that is going to invest in areas of our country and the world. And so it's a big deal if Black Lives Matter is going through cities destroying stuff because somebody like me isn't going to be interested in investing in companies that want to put roots on the ground and say Chicago, like places that you know, or like Seattle. You're thinking to yourself, why would I invest there? I'm risking the livelihood that I already have to put up a shop. You don't have to go as far as Black Lives Matter. You, you can just say your, your regular run-of-the-mill criminals. You just shoplift. Sure. But I mean, the even the concept of like our capital, knowing that before the day that they call the election, most years except for last year, they expect to board up their windows and close down. What in the world are we doing in the world of investment there when it's not like they're going to send somebody outside of their door to like hold a gun to defend the place. They're just going to hide and run. And and then there's, I've worked in the security and sort of just field before. And that one of the things that we would often see is Police officers will sometimes, if they find that whatever the person's doing, yes, they've technically broken the law, but the police officer would rather just say, hey, move along. Sure. Hey, get out of here. Hey, knock it off. Hey, I don't want to fill out the paperwork today. Not even that, but it's just they understand that it's just nailing these guys on the technical letter of the law is actually a problem because then you can nail everybody on. Yeah, there has to be a point where you decide that somebody needs to be taken off the street because they're going to harm someone else. They have, it's actually something called a prosecutorial discretion, which is basically an office can, gets to decide what it wants to prosecute. Well, take, you know, into consideration, if you prosecute everyone, you who run a government led and funded office only have so many resources. So you need to decide who is worth prosecuting. Not everyone is worth prosecuting. Not everyone should be prosecuted. I'm, I've mentioned before in an earlier episode that my baby girl passed away around three months old and it, it was SIDS, but they were, the police officers were concerned enough that they decided to go and you know, find the last three months of search engine history of my use and then to, from three months prior to when she died and three days after because they wanted to make sure that their that her parent didn't kill the child. Like, it's crazy. But it's one of those things where I think to myself now, I go, they are doing their job, but also how horrifying is it as like a private citizen to know that somebody could wake up and decide like, huh, this person, I think we should look into him even more. And then with like the thinnest amount of evidence, like for instance, I'm willing to open up this little, you know, nugget. I looked through my three months worth of search engine history and I found something 
and it said one of my Google searches was raccoon poison YouTube. And this was Googled because I had a roofer come out to my house and he told me that I had raccoon poop all over the roof. And so I asked, how do you get rid of them? And he said, well, you could poison them. You could also humanely capture them and have them be released elsewhere. So I Googled this. And then, of course, I realized there's this thing called a toxicology report that they do on, a, on, you know, on an autopsy. And they are going to figure out, and I guarantee you that they did do this, that they went, saw in my search history that they had this, saw that the autopsy showed that there wasn't any poison in my daughter's system. And they said, nope we can't, we're not going to do this. We're not going to prosecute this dad. He's obviously hurting enough as it is. What's the point? Like you have to decide at a certain point that you either A, don't have the evidence or B, that it's just not worth it. To do what exactly? Waste people's time? Like <laughs> that's a thing. People waste time prosecuting cases that shouldn't be prosecuted. It's a, it's a thing. And you can talk about uh, the two movement. Their argument is that not enough prosecuting is going on. They argue that we're literally in a rape culture. And so that argument is based off of how they read their stats and statistics and everything like that. This brings back to a just society. If you're talking, part of the issue is going to be, well, how are you going to catch all those extra people? Like, they're right. There are rapists who have gotten off. It's true. Is getting all of the rapists going to produce a just society? How do you actually do that? So that's kind of the second question is, is it important to find the innocent or find the guilty? So the innocent until proven guilty is not an intuitive concept, actually. Most of human history actually kind of revolved around the idea that you're guilty until proven innocent. So as long as you had, as long as there was evidence pointing towards your guilt, you had to prove you were innocent rather than we had to prove you were guilty. And so the idea that the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt is that's the big development. You can imagine sort of a scenario for most of us where an acquaintance of yours comes to you and says, hey, John was talking behind your back with some friends the other night. And most of us would immediately say the words, do you have any proof of this? That would be their next question. And if he said, well, he was telling a story involving uh, some lobsters. And you were like, wait a minute. There is a story about me and lobsters that I told him and I didn't tell anybody else. <gasps> so now it's like, oh my gosh, he, he actually might be onto something. Yeah, well, we're in those lobsters. So, so we go... Obviously, the thing is, this hasn't actually proved anything. It only says that there was a story about lobster, but humans will associate truth with appearance. Well, how much evidence actually is beyond a reasonable doubt? That's the issue of this. Because we can say, we're going to say you're innocent and we have to prove you're guilty. And you're automatically saying there are going to be guilty people going free. Yeah. Whereas you can go the other way and you can say, hey, we're going to find innocent people. We're gonna. Uh, there's actually a fascinating episode in the TV series uh, Stargate SG One, where they actually use a guilty until proven innocent system, where the prosecutor, where the judge, is also the uh, prosecutor. So he has to he brings the case, and then the uh, accused must defend himself. And if he can convince the person, then that society argued, hey, if you can convince the judge that you're not at fault, then you really must not be at fault. That's really interesting because the other way to view that is that the judge is very biased. So there has to be a situation where that judge doesn't have a reason other than the fact that they want the guilty party found to have it, the verdict be found in his favor. So like versus in the American system is very much like 
you need to win. And I think that's been something that we've popularized in pop culture in regards to different types of profile cases, high profile cases. And the same thing happens in the actual high profile cases. It's we've decided who is right and who's wrong. And now we want to see it happen. Like in real time, see that this person is guilty and have them be decided guilty. And then we don't respect if they're found innocent because it's so hot and heavy. Yeah, the, the court of public opinion is always its own monster. I mean, I'm always from Massachusetts, so the Boston bomber was a thing that actually affected me. And I remember when this happened, like there were women who were attracted to it. Yeah. And I remember the Time magazine cover and people, there are a lot of people very angry because they, they're like, he looks great. Like, Sure. He's very attractive, but... I mean, the, people like to sensationalize criminals. There's a reason why we know criminals' names or that they get moved around or the very fact that somebody might think of the person's face when they hear the words Boston Marathon Bomber. Right, and, and so how much proof is going to be needed for those people who find him attractive versus somebody who's thoroughly disgusted by him? Right, you're going to need more proof. It's a statistical thing that if the person is more attractive, then you're going to need to be able to prove with even more infallibility that this person is guilty. I remember one of uh, Rush Limbaugh's undeniable truths of life was women should not be allowed on a jury where the accused is a stud. And it does speak a little bit to bias. Hey, I would reverse that and say men shouldn't be allowed to judge on women who are gorgeous. I mean, it's really hard because you can do this thing where you can ask a person, hey, that person's really attractive. Are you going to be able to decide without giving that merit? And they're going to say, yes. And in their head, they'll believe it. Yes, I can be unbiased. And then they'll look at that person and they'll bat their eyes. They'll look down. They'll look innocent. And their attorney will be telling them like, hey, wear something that makes you look very put together and yeah. innocent. Like you're a little girl who just happened to be in this situation. It won't mean that, that it's what happened. Speak at his trial. Yep, there's a reason. Exactly. And the, the American ideal is that we let the community decide since they're the affected ones. So you have, it's a jury of your peers. Sure. But there's a glaring obvious issue with that idea. The community is affected. Yeah. If it's an affected community, they're not impartial. At that point, you need to pull people who are not directly a part of your community, but they don't do that. And that's why we actually allow cases, high profile cases to be moved from one location to another because you can lessen some of the association. I mean, just think of how hard of a time they had finding jurors for the Floyd trial. They may not have been able to find good jurors. <laughs> it turns out the one guy who said he didn't actually. Actually had. About it. Yep. So, well, that's a hard thing because once you've made it super popular, the jury pool, your options for a jury pool are completely tainted. Because who, when you ask them, when they sit down and you say, have you heard of this such and such incident? They're going to be like, oh yeah, it was really bad. And they're going to go, well, you're out. Goodbye. Versus, because what do they, I'm sure they were looking for, what is it, 12 people? They're, they could say, people. haven't heard anything about it. Okay, well. They found people who had heard about it, but had, but they were convinced seemed reasonable. Right. Convinced that they seemed reasonable. That's a good they quote. They could not find somebody. They could not find somebody who didn't find what happened vile. 
you know, or the... Or at least who was willing not to say it. So they, they knew about it. All these people knew about it. Exactly. And there's even actually a current movement called jury nullification, which is kind of by libertarians and more... To make sure people know it's a thing. ...free-minded or freedom-loving, I guess you could call. That's what they would call themselves. The idea is to lie to get onto juries so that you can mess up trials for crimes that you feel should not be processed. That's a terrible so idea. That's, which is like, well, if you're going to do that, then <laughs> you just blew out people's trust in that system. Yeah, no, that's a terrible idea. I mean, because the thing is, it's the system we have, so we should do our best as Americans to support it to be the best system possible. Because we're not going to be able to destroy it and redo it, and if we did, it wouldn't make it a better system. Well, their argument is that they're counterbalancing the prosecution and defense who are simply looking for wins rather than the correct answer, rather than justice. That's their argument. That, see, the reason why that doesn't work is because both sides have the opportunity to point out the fallacies in each other's case. They try to have the trial first. That's my opinion. Right. But obviously you can see where their opinion comes from. And so kind of what I, I do get this question from people who, when they run into this sort of problem where they realize juries are kind of, wait a minute, there's like some problems with juries. Of course, it's a human system, like you said. It's always going to have problems. They, well, why don't we just have judges do everything? I actually heard somebody recently, they, they were saying judges should be like doctors. Well, the, no, the judges should be like doctors where they should have a specific judge. Okay, school. let me stop you right there. There's this show, it's called Judge Judy. And if you need to get that out of your system, go and YouTube it because she's a boss. But at the same point, you know what she does? You know what she's judged on? You know what it's called? It is called a small claims court. She is not ever going to preside over a murder. Well, maybe petty theft, but she's not going to preside over a murder. She's going to preside over, you're, a, you're an idiot. You give the thing over to that person, case closed. And it is amazing to watch her do this. It's great. It's so funny. And at the same point, though, these aren't that level. This is, It's a way above that to be dealing with Chauvin at that specific case. It's way worse. Well, what people will say is judges should go to school. After they have they to do. specifically study to be a judge. They do. Like specifically. Oh, um, okay. Not be a lawyer. Then you get certified. And then they were saying that they have to go through all these different trainings. So they likened it to becoming a doctor where you have schooling then your residency this do people know how long it takes to become a lawyer do people understand how long it takes to become a freaking judge you can't just apply it's not a job that you just apply for and get accepted in some places you have to get elected so you gotta have this yep job. you either have to get elected by people who believe you're a decent person with the experience and those exceptional certifications and things that you already have yeah, no, there's no or. You have to have that. The question is whether or not you have to be elected to that position or if you have to be brought in by, like, the governor or something and nominated to it and be done. It turns out that judges, they're more lenient after breaks and early in the day. Oh, my gosh. So if you're ever going for a traffic ticket, try for the 8 o'clock slot. Yeah, and this brings up a good story because why not? So my dad, he ended up in traffic court once, and he learned what you don't do. There was this guy in front of him and it, who was actually pulled over at the same exact spot that my dad was pulled over. But this dude, in response to like, how do you plead? Okay, why did you do this? And the guy was like, nobody even lives there, is what the guy said. 
And the judge was not thrilled with that response. Like, sure, nobody really loves, nobody really lives there, but like, that's not a reason that you shouldn't speed above 80 in an area that's considered a residential neighborhood. And then my dad goes up and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty, but I'm here because I would really like it if you would just give me less points on my driver's license. And they were like, that's fine. We can do that. Because it's like <laughs> judges don't want to be fooled with. They know the truth. So like in general, it does make sense that they can make decisions for these things. But after a certain level of like high profileness, like it just needs to be their job to monitor the arguments being given and decide if the jury has been given the right information. And then in certain extraneous, like crazy times, they can go above the jury's head if they really think that something has done a justice wrong. They do have powers, like they can change something entirely. But if they're going to do something that's highly unpopular, they know that they're going to be putting their career on the line. And I don't think most of them are willing to do that. It's very controlled on how on going on a jury. And most judges at the bottom level, they aren't going to go above a jury because there is a whole appeals process. Exactly. They can get smushed if it goes through the, that process. Then it doesn't have to be them who does this. In fact, they know better than anyone in many ways what the next step would be. They know just as well as the lawyers do. Here's an example of just the problem of finding the just solution. So we have the Breonna Taylor case. There were 11 witnesses. Okay. So the police argued that they announced themselves and knocked on the door. There were people who However, said that didn't happen. Well, hold on. Well, what happened is the boyfriend said he did not hear the police announce themselves. He just heard the pounding on the door, which is why he shot. Now, there were 11 witnesses. 10 of which they said they did not hear the police announce themselves. One of them did. Now, the 10 who said that they did not hear the police announce themselves, they didn't say the police didn't. They simply said, I did not hear it. Which is very different than saying it didn't happen. So they were in their apartments. They were sleeping or otherwise occupied. In other words, as you said, they were sleeping. So you have to hear something. The thing is, if they shouted who they were and then banged on the door... You didn't, no one heard them for the most part announce themselves except for the one who did, who was, you know, already awake because they're a light sleeper. Well, no. So the guy who heard them was on the stairs next to them going up to his apartment. So the reason he knows this is because the police told him saying, yeah, he was literally on the stairs. So if you see a photo of her house, you can see where the stairs are. He was right there. He heard them say police. And obviously people know that pounding on a door is much louder than somebody saying police. Absolutely. It's just louder. Oh yeah. Bang, bang. If you're watching a, yeah. If you're watching a Marvel movie, are you going to hear somebody saying police? Oh no. I, I mean, I've experienced somebody banging on a door and been rattled out of my sleep and it is terrifying. So you hear that. That's what you hear. So th this is one of the reasons actually why the boyfriend was not charged with um, assault on a police officer because they were able to sort of establish, Hey, he didn't actually hear him. So it's reasonable for him to have fired a shot. He, just one that's fine yeah that's so they said he didn't actually commit a crime on purpose yeah it was an it was accident that thing again but they then said it's reasonable for the police to then shoot back which was the what was the determination sure. but you can see here this is an issue if you're sitting on a jury you're going well 10 of them said they didn't hear them announce themselves but it's not that simple the one who was awake and outside on the stairwell heard them right well he was the most so likely to be the most trustworthy person there and so did he, right, so he's obviously the one most trustworthy. But are you discounting other people? Maybe that guy who's on the stairs, 
Maybe he didn't remember correctly. It's one guy again. It's not three That's or true. Four or five. But all the other people were sleeping, so how can we really trust them to hear anything other than the banging and the shot? It's difficult. It's a very difficult thing. As a jury, the best thing that they have is each other. There are 12 people to go and discuss the merits of these people. You hit the point where you have to make a decision. So then you make a decision. And then here's the problem. What happens to them? So you, let's say we've gone through everything. We've solved all the problems. We've created the most just system. When you think of it in your head, it can be a conservative ideal, a liberal ideal. It can be Vosh on YouTube's ideal. Whatever right. you want to do, you create the ideal system in your head. Sure. The next step is what happens to those guilty people? Because there's a whole part of this that people tend to forget because everyone kind of like, oh, guilty. And then everybody like, you know, shakes each other's hands and they go home, mm -hmm. the movie ends, right? And they forget that there's this whole thing called sentencing. And then they have to decide what exactly they're going to do with them, where they're going to put them. So what about repeat offenders? There's repeat well, offenders. Well, it's common. They talk about there are a number of different types of three strikes laws, for instance, for drug offenders. So on your third time, you could be sent to jail. But those first couple of times, it's a fine. Yeah, so... Three strike is the idea that as you go up, some states, it's as you commit more crimes, it doesn't have to be the same. You simply add to your record and you can extend the sentence based on that past performance. But for some of those states, that's how they address the crime wave. Sure. They said, if you're going to be a repeat offender, we are going to remove you. And then they also said this was an incentive to not be a repeat offender. So if you get caught, then we're going to be more lenient with you on try number one, and then, hey, then we'll get you on the next one. So that was the thinking. But you could also talk about who has to disclose their past. People right now, big deal is felons getting jobs. Sure. Or felons who had their records sealed so that employers couldn't look up their past. That's a bigger issue. Right. Because it's like information. What do you have the right to know? And again, like imagine we talk about the sex offender registry. Yep. Some, I was you have go to there. some you have to notify people, some you don't. Mm. Imagine if you get added to the sex offender registry when you're 19 and then now you're 75. It happens. And nobody right. cares. An yep. And you got there because you dated a 16-year-old. If you're in a Romeo and Juliet situation in a state that doesn't have Romeo and Juliet laws. That's right. And somebody decided it was a problem. Yeah. Think about it from a business side. Let's say... I want to hire felons and I feel for their plight. I want them to work for me, join my business. Great. I've hired them. I've given them a job. These guys are so thankful. This is great. It's clear these guys want to start in life. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then the insurance company shows up and goes, who's working for you? <laughs> what? You've got a who doing where? <laughs> well, not like I, that. But they, they'll have a reaction of no, or your insurance cost is going to be through the roof. You want us to, you're employing thieves and you want us to insure your business? No. They will jack the prices to such levels that you can't be in business. So now you got to go back to those guys and go, look, I want to hire you, but. Oh, it's not even just that. Then you have to go back to the government and say, if you're going to let insurance take advantage of me this way and you want to support felons getting jobs, you need to give me some serious kickbacks because I'm going to take all of this and I'll have to pay for it. And you're the ones who made this happen for me. It's a, and, and so now, and then that the insurance companies are going to have a say. They're going to go, hey, look, we're taking on risk. Then we have laws that go forward and they say, 
Insurance can't make decisions based off of people's previous criminal history. Hogwash. Which can cause new issues because you do need to consider somebody's mm -hmm. I'm, I mainly brought that up because of, while I appreciate in many ways the concept that Obamacare removed pre-existing conditions, it's not like the idea of pre-existing conditions was dumb. It was just a fact of life. You could say that it was being overused. I mean, I have pet insurance, and one of the things that they tell you when you have pet insurance is you should not be looking up their you should only do genetic testing on the dog after you get the insurance because if you didn't do the genetic testing before then it'll be taken into consideration my mother was concerned about us as kids because she has polycystic kidneys and she was concerned that if we know too young that we have polycystic kidneys then it might impact our lives which you can't even know that until you turn like i don't know at post 40 usually is when they can start to detect these things so it's unlikely that you could even have the impact you, but just the fear of it was enough to be like, nah, let's not test regularly, which is fine, usually. So these are people who are guilty. What about those who are accused? Think of the invasion of privacy, the publicity for some of these cases. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just so like I had thought about myself in the sense of when my child passed away and I was being investigated, I talked to a number of people. I even talked to my pastor and he was telling me about like, hey, like if you get into a tough spot where you are actually accused of a crime, like I know people who are in the media and I know that you would never kill your own child. Like that's like, we all know you, we'd rally for you. And we would make sure that the community knows that you aren't those types of people. And I thought about that and I was like, wow, like I, at that time I was saying like, I can't possibly like, I really do believe that the police department here does very good work. And at the same point, if I was accused, I would have, that would have been a harsh reality for my identity. And at the same point, like I would never go out of my way to like tell that police department to like, at that time, do an investigation on me by making this a big deal at the time. Like it was just three months of search engine history. It could have been much worse, but at the same point, it's like, if I go out of my way to make this a big deal for them because they accused me, my face will be everywhere. People will know me. If I go to, if I went to the grocery store, people would see me and know who I am. Big stuff. That's, you can't go back to your normal life stuff. Actually, there's a case at a group I worked for, a volunteer cap capacity. Somebody in the group was convicted of child pornography. Oh. Holding, possessing. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. And really sad. It is. But I'm in photos with him because we were in a volunteer group. Sure. You take photos with him. And they're on Facebook with you with pictures and they're tagged. Oh, I know. And then you're just like, oh boy. And then you got to think about, geez. That's association. That's associ like, because if you think about it, what do I have to fear? I wasn't involved. But at the same time, do I really want? Because remember, if we're unwittingly committing, if we're unwittingly committing three felonies a day, you don't want anybody to go through because, hey, wait a minute. Did you know you were a, oh, hey, what? I mean, imagine if they come through my house and they walk in and all of a sudden they go, hey, you, know you go to jail for this. Three right? infractions right here. You updated your bathroom and you didn't tell anyone? Ugh. I'm kidding. At a contract, there might be an issue. Well, I remember they told, they told stories when I went into my firearm safety class, which you have to do in Massachusetts if you want to own a firearm. And uh, we were sitting there in a, a safe couple. 
So your firearms are supposed to remain, if they're not under your direct control, they are supposed to remain locked away. But the ammunition can be with them if it's all locked. So if it's all in a safe, you can keep the ammunition in there. But if it's not locked, then the ammunition has to be in a different room and out of the gun. Now, they're an elderly couple. Right, so there's no kids around. There isn't really any concern that anybody's just going to walk in and accidentally shoot someone. And they also kind of were like... They grew up in a different time. House. Well, no, if somebody breaks into our house, we're in our 70s. We're not running to go get our No. Mission. That's stupid. We're just going to pick up the gun and fire away. So they kept a loaded uh, handgun in their nightstand. Okay. That was their plan. And to you and me, it seems reasonable. Yeah. You're 70. And you again, have no like, children we're around. Running. We're not going to run to the safe, unlock no. the safe. Yeah, that's a young person's game. My wife and I have talked about that, like the concept of you bar the door, I'll open the safe, I'll shove the thing in the bottom, and boom. But like, if you're older, that's not an option. You've got 10 seconds. It's going to take you a few moments to actually access that weaponry. Oh, yeah. And your adrenaline's going to be going because you just woke up. So one night, he had a heart attack. They called the EMS. They showed up. They transported him to the hospital. He woke up to two state troopers next to his bedside and his, and his hand handcuffed to the side of the bed. Why? Because they found a loaded handgun not under his direct control in the nightstand next to him and this is one of the things i mean we actually had another one where there was somebody trying to break into his house through the front door he shot him through the front door <gasps> but because in massachusetts like castle the doctrine shot the guy trying to get in yeah so in massachusetts castle doctrine only counts once they enter your house so yeah which is like we, so if someone is threatening me from uh, my lawn i can't shoot them but if he's threatening me from inside my living room, then it's all of a sudden different. That's how the state of Massachusetts views it. So, but he shot him through the front door and the guy was like, well, he was trying to break through my front door. And the state's take on it was right. So once he got through the door, then you can shoot him. <laughs> and the guy went to jail. You think that in that type of situation, they would at least be like, okay, so you shouldn't do that, but we're going to have a hard time holding you accountable to that given that you feared for your life. But think about it this way. He was brought to trial. They charged him with manslaughter. But if you think about it, the state could have gotten him for murder. That's true. Yep. And I'm just surprised that you would. About this. I mean, because the thing is, if moments later they would have, you know, charged him with manslaughter, but then found him not guilty. How are you basing this decision off of? Like, I get it. Like, there's precedence for our law says this, and therefore you must have that. But I would. I guess I feel like that person was protecting the other people in their house. I might care more if they were protecting other people than themselves. But, but yeah, so you can see where this leads, the, the, how the state wants to do it, how they, our communities have made decisions. And again, do you think that guy had an intent? No, of course not. No, he didn't have the intent. Most people don't wake up that day and decide they want to shoot someone. Certainly not somebody who's trying to break down their door. But you can see from the state's point of view, well, if we always have to prove 100% intent, well, this is an issue because then people can simply get away with shooting others as long as they can claim, well, I didn't have the intent to kill them. That's true. You can just see where this starts to pile mm -hmm. up in what happens to him. Is this, maybe he gets a lighter sentence, right? Maybe he, he's... That's kind of where I was going, is that person who's in their own house, if moments later that would have been the case, I would think that they would need to be given a lighter sentence given the situation. 
because obviously that's part of why we have judges and it's part of why we have a jury. So then we can look through these issues that are complex and decide not only what, how does the law apply, but how does it apply in this specific situation? So there's actually a sort of case study that I want to do here. And uh, I want to move away from sort of the more contentious ones okay. of the modern day back into the nineties. Things people um, have forgotten about. They're oh, still important. Man. So if you remember Justice Ant the late Justice Antonin Scalia, mm. he was often known as the religious freedom guy. Mm -hmm. But there's actually a good section of people that don't think he is because he authored um, Employment Division versus Smith. So basically before this, if you were a religious American, you could invoke the First Amendment to seek relief from laws or regulations that substantially burdened the practice of their faith. So government could not deny a religious exemption without demonstrating a compelling state interest and showing that it has pursued that interest in the manner least restrictive or least burdensome to religion. It's actually similar to how federal voting laws work. If you're going to put a restriction on voting, you actually have, you have to showcase that there's a compelling interest for it and it is the least burdensome way of doing it. They actually just struck down, a, I believe it was a Kansas law, either Kansas or Kentucky. They just struck down one of those laws based on that where they said this is too burdensome and it was actually the person providing proof of citizenship and they said that's too burdensome wow you know whether it is or whether it's not that's how they that's how they viewed it so interesting so what actually happened is scalia said burdens on religious freedom no longer had to be justified by a compelling state interest so he said you can't target religious practice but you can pass laws that burden religious practices as long as it is a generally applicable and neutral law. Oh. So the case uh, that it was for was the state of Oregon had banned the use of uh, peyote. Peyote? Peyote, yeah. It's a cactus with hallucinogenic properties. Oh. Okay, so drugs. It's Yeah. It, usually when you hear this case, somebody will describe it as super weed, but it's, which is... Super so, awkward. Right. Without providing a religious exemption for members of the Native American church who ingest small amounts of peyote in worship ceremonies, which is just a long-standing Native American practice. In other words, they like to be high while worshiping. So two Native Americans challenge the law for being denied unemployment benefits, right? Because you're on drugs, you can't have unemployment benefits. And so most legal experts expected the outcome to say, like, can Oregon demonstrate a compelling reason for this? So he basically said, well, everybody has the law apply to them. So Oregon can then pass a law. What he was saying is Oregon can't put in a law that says Native Americans cannot use peyote, but they can say everybody can't use peyote. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So so one's targeted and one's not. So usually what they used to say is that there had to be, that some people view this as saying that there had that religious freedom had to come along with another. You can't say religious freedom and just get out of whatever. That was the argument. So basically Scalia would said, hey, look, if you want to get out of a generally applicable law, then you should go and get a legislative remedy. Mm -hmm. This is actually where all these religious freedom restoration acts come from was this decision. So when they passed this decision, it was actually to reinstate legislatively the pre-employment division view of religious freedom. Ooh. That's actually where those laws come from. So when you hear people talking about religious freedom laws are just because uh, Christians are angry. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually like a history behind this sort of thing. 
Oh, this is insightful. But you can see already. So some people would say, hey, it's not just that you can ignore a law just because you claim it's burdensome. Sure. Like laws are burdensome. Deal with it. Welcome to society. Yep. And then there's the other view that people are saying, well, but religious freedom is a human right. So governments don't get to just trample over a human without a compelling interest. I have freedom of movement, but you know, if my city's being bombed, then the government kind of has the ability to say, look, we're trying to keep everybody inside and turn the lights off so that they can't, right? When they would do the air raids in World War II, mm -hmm. there's a compelling reason we need you to not be turning on the lights. And if somebody, and the argument just came up when we we're talking about the vaccines, where the people who argued for mandatory vaccines were going, hey, yeah. I understand it's your right to not be forced to take things, but if you are hurting other people, then we can force you to take it without, as long as it's not going to hurt you. That was that's that its own can of worms. Of but you can see how that's the argument, of course, that these people make in regards to these. Sure. And so, this is really all to say again. Our goal here, with as you can tell, that we've got kind of a three-part series. It's not going to just stay three parts. The goal here is to start at a top level just look over the three different branches that we have in America and then start to drill down through them. So this is a very top level analysis. And then what I want to keep doing as we go forward is drop into specific aspects of these or landmark decisions or movements that have affected these and discuss things that affect us today that have happened in the past or how things used to be and changed for this reason, but maybe the change didn't show now we can look back at the, whether that change had, you know, what are the unintended consequences? And, and because I think the number one thing is that there's a lot to the justice system. There's a lot to the legislative. There's a lot to the executive. And the main problem in America, especially with the justice system, is ignorance. So what do we do? Well, I, I think most people have no idea what happens in a legal trial or why. And part of that is a lot of our education just doesn't even focus on that. We kind of just cover the basics of how it goes. You're talking about Nobody civics. Knows. Yeah, civics. Most civic education, people have no idea. And people are almost sometimes proud of it. Like, you know, People will be like, oh, I don't know who the president is. Yeah, and then they get like a big smile, like, yeah, I don't know who it is. That's, that's one of the questions that they ask you to make sure that you're a conscious human being. So maybe that's not something to be proud of. Right, but right next to <laughs> your birth date. Yeah, So because if, if you find somebody who's had... um an injury and they're not con and they may have been knocked out or hit their head. There's what year is it? The pre yeah. Who's the president? Yeah. And it actually happened to, it actually happened to my brother when he was 10, they asked him who the president was and he was like, I don't know. And they were like, Oh my gosh. And somebody kind of stepped in and went, Mr. EMT, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but he's 10. He's 10. You know, <laughs> they're like, but the fact that a 10 year old is just has no clue who the president is, hasn't even heard it in passing. That's something that's kind of... The parents don't know, talk about it every four years ago. It hasn't even come up or there's not a picture of him somewhere. You know what I mean? Oh, who's that? Yeah. Right. On TV. There was a big criticism of Christianity called the God of the Gaps, which is basically that Christians would explain gaps. So when something was unknown, they would explain why they didn't know as just God working or miracles. Right, right. Old way of kind of explaining it. We don't know why this is. That's just God. It's the kind of thing where before there were arguments about how it's possible for the earth to be created and maintained in seven days, they would just say, well, God did it. It's in the Bible. 
versus now where there are people who believe that they have evidence to that effect and they can talk ad nauseum to the reasons that they have. Right. And I actually heard this from, from a content creator named uh, Atheism is Unstoppable. So I actually got it from an atheist. Interesting. And it was a brilliant concept where he, he called it racism of the gap. Ooh. Where basically people would, if there was a gap somewhere, instead of looking into why that might be, people would just say racism. And that's the only reason there's a gap. That's here. really funny. And, and I want to take that farther and say that what happens a lot of times in our legal system is we will use that racism, sexism, ableism, money, power, uh, the guy's born on a Wednesday. We'll use any sort of kind of almost conspiracy theory to fill in the gap of why something occurred. I know a lot of people who they can tell me who, which justices they hate. They can tell me who that guy is, whatever. They've never read a single opinion. They don't even know where to look for them. Right? Like most people don't even know that there's a, like there's a whole website dedicated to SCOTUS opinions called SCOTUS blog. You can go just go read them. You can download the text of their uh, decisions. You can go to Wikipedia and there are links in the, mm -hmm. there are links there to the justice's reasoning. There's entire sections you can literally pull out. You can read it. Well, most as it turns out, most it. of their jobs is research and writing and nobody thinks about that. Oh yeah. And so what, how many times does a case happen and the first thing you hear is some sort of vague ideal. Oh, not even the first. The only thing you hear is guilty, not guilty, or yes or no. Here is the one sentence we got out of it. Well, a lot of times, even the, just before the, the thing even happens, if they rule this way, that just shows they're sexist. What? Mm -hmm. Why would that show that they're... No, no, you need to show me. <laughs> these guys, I mean, these guys, can, they're highly educated. And they write all this stuff, and then some idiot on Twitter goes, "Well, I know what they were all thinking." Oh they yeah, hate women. Oh, really? That's what it is. That it, it has to be that, and it has to they be. explain the gap mm -hmm. between why, like, because a lot of these guys, a lot of the content creators, a lot of these people, what gets them views and viewership is giving that opinion, that strong opinion, mm -hmm. and saying, "I mean, I remember Rachel Maddow for two years." Russia collusion was it. We knew yep. it. It was there. We were finding it. It's coming. Mm -hmm. And then when it didn't happen, well, what happened? Crickets. What do you do, right? When it came out that, oh, there's really not, it's really not there. It's, oh, that's really not the case. There's really, there's not a good yeah. argument for this. And Well, it's the same kind of thing what she did with COVID vaccines and the masks when the mask magnates started going down. And no joke, the thing that she said was, I'm trying to figure out when I go and get my groceries, like who just hates people versus who had their vaccine. And the response should be, why are you making assumptions about people based off of whether or not they wore a mask when the mandate isn't even saying that they should at this point? The thing is, it's you can see how there's a gap between what they think it should be and what it is. And the reality. And so, in, so instead of coming up with an explanation or giving somebody the benefit of the doubt or saying, you know what? There's an argument for that. I don't like that argument. I don't agree with it, but that's, that is a well put together case. They just say it's an ism, which is a nebulous concept, mm -hmm. which, which gets us but, to today, which, and it does. And I think that's the problem is a lot of people will go along with that simply because 
They are too ignorant of what actually goes into the pursuit of justice in this country so that it's easier to you when somebody doesn't know something, that's where conspiracy theories can thrive. That's where they come from. Mm -hmm. It's when people are not aware of what goes into it. So what can we do going forward? I think the number one thing that has to happen is there has to be an education on it. And the second thing is, and it's a, this is a harder one, people have to sort of agree to let the actual system work. Mm -hmm. You can critique it. I'm fine with critiquing it. It's always good because, again, constantly trying to make sure that it's up to par and you, you don't want any slippage. But those, the understanding that critique does not mean that there is a corruption. People may be doing a good job and not succeeding. There are, there are plenty of people who are intelligent people who fail. That's life. But then to claim that the only reason they failed is because, well, actually they wanted to fail. You know, that's... So you have to address the ignorance of the culture before you get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to education and it making it the best system that it can be by supporting it as it is. Right. It is. And, and understand that sometimes you only get one shot. There's, you don't, there's no double jeopardy in the United States. So you, when you put together, your case has to be put together. Like that's your shot to get them. So that takes time. A lot of times I've actually seen somebody where they're like, nope. I remember with the Ahmad Arbery case that they, they were on their third prosecutor and people were going, well, it's taking so long. It's like, well, they're actually working through prosecutors and every time they bring in a new one, they have to go back over the investigation and make sure that it was done right. I remember with the Chauvin, with the Chauvin trial, people were asking why the police officer hadn't been arrested by the next morning. And it's like, well, because they have to actually go through the process of correctly arresting him. <laughs> and this does, it's like these, and the thing is, there were people who knew better, who took the fact that he, they used the fact that people didn't know and used it to their advantage because they, yeah, people are mad already. It's not a big deal. Who cares? No, it is a big deal because the ignorance of the masses is not a way to get your own power just by exploiting it because who cares? No, it doesn't matter. And so we need to address it with education. And then also those who do know need to be honest about it. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow.